Well, good morning. I'll try not to get caught up in Mike's cords here. We are going to continue our series of Jesus and his I am statements. And so today's I am statement is from John 8, verse 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So to get us started again this morning, my favorite activity is a little neighborhood time. So just for a couple of moments, if you would, with the person next to you, because we don't have as much time to get large groups of you, just share what does that mean? What does Jesus being the light, what's the first thing that comes to your mind as you hear that statement? We'll just go a couple minutes and we'll pull things back together. Okay. Thank you for sharing. I know for some of us, like me, that's always a little bit of uncomfortableness, but thank you for at least being willing to warm your brains up a little bit. Last week, Tom, not a new idea, but re-emphasized and emphasized the idea that God's story, his story from beginning to end is one unified story, one connected story. And today we're going to see that again because Jesus being the light the idea of light starts in the very first page where God said, let there be light. And then it goes all the way to the end of Revelation. In Revelation 22 where it says this, night will be no more. People will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light. So from the beginning to the end, through the prophets, through the Psalms, we see scripture talking about the light. Today, we're going to start and kind of pick up our story at a festival, a festival that the Jewish people celebrated every fall, and it's called the Festival of Tabernacles. So you know me, being the tulip time geek that I am, I want you to think about the Festival of Tabernacles is going to be very similar in a lot of regards to our very own tulip festival, other than it being in the fall. For anybody who noticed... It got a little bit busy the last few days, so their festival was an eight-day festival. We're getting closer and closer to that being our reality, aren't we? <laughs> Whoo, boy. So they celebrated. They celebrated not only the harvest, so it was like a Thanksgiving on steroids, but more particularly and primarily, this was a celebration of God's care for their ancestors during their wanderings in the desert. During this festival, many people would actually build little booths. Thankfully, we don't have to build little straw town huts, but they would actually build little booths, cover them with the leaves of the trees and the branches of the trees, and they would live in those during the festival. Jerusalem was filled with visitors. Boy, can we relate to that one. There was joy. It was alive. There was excitement. There was celebration. Get this. There was singing. There was dancing. They even had torch parades at night. They had, a light, they had their own lighted parade. <laughs> they would march around the city, much like we do, celebrating their victory at Jericho. And every day, there was a process where every morning in particular, where the priest would carry water from the pool of Shalom, and they would pour it out over one of the altars. And this was to signify, and this was to remind the people how God had provided water to them when they were in the desert. And then on the last day of the festival, we're told in scriptures that that's where Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
But also part of this celebration was they would light these huge torches. So I've done a little research. These torches were really and truly, they are about as tall as our tulip tower. So if you can imagine, 65-gallon drum of oil of some sort on top of the tulip tower, and then four of those, the light would shine throughout the city. It would shine throughout the region. And it was at the end of the festival when the priest would extinguish the last torch that Jesus stood up and called out and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Can you imagine the ripple through the crowd? Can you imagine the response? Did, did, did he just say what I thought he said? Because Jesus had already said, just prior to this, where Tom brought us with his teaching last week, he had already told them that he was the bread of life. Now he's saying he was the light. He's identifying himself not only as the Messiah, but he was identifying himself as God. And the people of that day would immediately, their minds would immediately go to their ancestors. They would immediately go to the scene where they're up against the Red Sea where the Israelites started to grumble, where they started to fear, where they didn't trust God anymore, and where Moses stood up and said, do not be afraid, stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. And from that point forward, God led his people through the wilderness. He led them with a cloud and a pillar, and everybody in Jesus' day would know exactly that story. They would know the backstory. So by claiming to be the light of the world, in essence, what Jesus is saying, only by me can you see and understand everything else. Only by me can you see and understand the world. So here's my sermon in a sentence. Until the light of the world illuminates your world, you'll never make sense of the world. Let me repeat that one more time. Until the light of the world illuminates your world, you'll never make sense of the world. Let's unpack that a little bit. Because I would suggest, many of us, myself included, many of us, feel like the problems of the world are out there. We want Jesus to be the light out there. We want Jesus to handle the darkness out there. But, like the people of Jesus' day, they wanted the Messiah to, to, to defeat Rome out there. They missed it. What the Pharisees and what the teachers missed was the light of the world. The light of the world didn't just come to deal with the out there. But he came to address what's in here. A few weeks ago, those of you who worshiped with us on a regular basis, we studied the teachers and the Pharisees dragging a woman who had been caught in adultery out in front of the crowd. They were pointing at her. They were pointing to the darkness that was outside of them and in her. 
And we talked about how that is, and we all sometimes have a tendency to point out there. Let me illustrate that another way. You have a water bottle, obviously. If I shake the water bottle, what comes out? <laughs> Not a trick question. Water. Why? Well, because you shook it, Brian. That's why the water came out. So when I shake, stuff comes out. What we tend, what we tend to do is when something comes out of us, when some darkness comes out of us, something that we don't like, something that maybe scares us just a little, we tend to blame the shaking, the circumstances, the world around us. We'd rather not look at what's inside and coming out. We'd rather blame the shake. We want to point to the problems that are out there. Here's the beauty of the message of the morning. Jesus. Our Jesus. Oh, man. Side note. I think I say this to you guys every time I preach. One time in your life... Come sit down here while we worship. Oh, my stars. I was one big goosebump. It is amazing to hear the voices of God's people. Praise Oh, man, that's a side note. Just an encouragement. At some point in your life, come and experience that. It is amazing. It is amazing. But that's Jesus. That Jesus is the one who invites us to follow him. The light. It's in his kindness that he wants to walk with us, to expose in us our darkness, to expose our stuff in here. Because Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, I'll lead you. I'll guide you as I'm guided by my Father. You see, the Jesus who is the light, Jesus who is the light is the only one who can dispel the darkness of our soul, whatever that may be. Today, today he's encouraging each one of us to bring that to the light. Not only our sin, that's been the biggest revelation to me over the last few weeks of looking at this. Yes, this is about bringing our sin and having Jesus expose our sin, and it is, a, but I think it is so much more than that. It is so much more than that. Because one of the terms that I've run across just in the last few weeks, it's called shadow self. It's those things, those parts of you that you just as soon keep hidden. Those things that you're just not quite sure about, but you put them in the closet. You don't really address them. Maybe it's a sorrow that you're dealing with. Or some sort of sadness. Anger or loneliness. Maybe it's your messes, maybe it's your wounds, maybe it's that feeling that everybody else has got this figured out, why don't I? Today, today, Jesus is encouraging you to bring all of that to the light. And here's the beauty of our Savior. He does that so intimately, so beautifully. Let me help you maybe get your head around what I'm trying to say on that front. The leader of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, was describing that ministry. 
And he said, this is what's distinct about our ministry, the way we do things. He said, typically when people are at a point of darkness, they feel as though they're down in a pit. And what typically happens is people will walk by, stick with me, people will walk by and they'll throw a, I'll pray for you, down into the pit. Or they'll come up with a great Bible verse, but keep moving. The leader of the AA said, the point of distinguish of our ministry is this. We don't throw a rope down into the pit. We get in the pit with them. Can you imagine that? Down in a pit, instead of throwing a rope, the guy like, what are you doing down here? Now we're both here. What good is that? But can you imagine the conversation? Yeah, but I've been here. And I know the way. Follow me. Follow me. That's the picture. That's the picture of what Jesus is promising. Can you imagine? Jesus, the King of Kings, the man who, the, the one who created all of creation, jumping into the pit of humanity, the pit of our lives. And he's saying these words to you. Because we're all going to have those moments. We've talked about a wall. Today we're going to just relate those two together. It may be the pit. We're all going to have those. And Jesus is going to say to you so tenderly, I am the light of the world. Culture screaming, fix yourself. You can do it. Just try harder. But Jesus, Jesus invites us to follow him. Follow him out of the darkness. That's the invitation. That's the invitation that Jesus is extending to each one. So here's the part that has troubled me. Why is, as beautiful as that sounds, why is that so hard for us to do? It's an offer of beauty and grace and mercy. Why is that so hard to do? I think it, to kind of get our head around it, let's jump all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, after they first sin, they've got shame, they've got guilt, they've got blame, but they also hid. They hid in the trees. They tried to avoid the presence of God. But Jesus, friends, Jesus invites us to follow him. Because remember this. When God beckons you to open up those places in your life, he will only speak with love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. Friends, when you and I are exposed, when our stuff is exposed to the one who is light, but the one who is also love, it changes us. It changes us. He's not trying to shame us to push us down. He's not telling, he's telling us you don't have to live that way. I don't want to have to do it again. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, you remember back and forth, trying hard. I'm gonna do it, I can do it. Back and forth, back and forth. 
But remember the conversation that they had with Jesus. It changed everything. That's the conversation I'm talking about. But here's the other side that I find really interesting about seemingly all of us. The truth is, not only do we fear the presence of God, we also have fear and anxiety about each other, about the presence of others. We might not hide in the corner, we might not hide in the trees, but this is gonna sound real familiar. We hide behind the, how's it going, Brian? Good. A dear friend of mine shared a song. I'm not going to sing it. It's called Truth Be Told. I'm going to just read a couple of things. See if any of this resonates with your life, with your hiding. It says, truth be told, the truth is rarely told. I say I'm fine, but I'm not. I'm broken. And when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not, and you know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it, when being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, there's no fail, there's no sin you don't already know, so let the truth be told. Here's the promise. Can I really stand here unashamed, knowing that your love for me won't change? Oh God, if that was really true, then let the truth be told. Today, friends, my encouragement to all of us, would you be willing? Would you be willing to open up your life, your mind, the dark places, your shadow self? Whatever that darkness is, would you be willing to bring that to Jesus? Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal for you specifically, what are you trying to expose in my life? It might be sin, absolutely, and that's part of it. But what parts are you trying to hide? Bring them to Jesus. Back to my water bottle. Friends, it's no question, things in our world are getting crazy. The world around us is shaking, and stuff is coming out of all of us. Because this world is not as God intended it. The world is still broken. And whatever's on the inside of any one of us, all of us, is coming out. And we've talked. Many of us are carrying the backpacks, are carrying the rocks, our hands are chained, and we're back and forth, up and down the hill. We're trying to fix it ourselves. We're getting tired. Jesus, Jesus says, bring it to me. Look at it with me. I'm the light. But here's the thing that woke me up early this morning. It's really, I won't say it's easy, there's a tendency for all of us at 9.54 to say, yep, that's good. We have our moments, and I'm not discrediting those, and I'm saying those are powerful. Here's my, here's what struck me this morning. We, starting right here, need to do that 
tomorrow morning when I'm at the traffic light and I'm frustrated by two-loop time traffic on Monday. <laughs> Me on Tuesday when I go to a ball game and things aren't going and the umpire's not calling out like I think my kid's game should be called. Or Wednesday, are you kidding me at work? I don't care whether it's anger or frustration or whatever it is. Whatever's coming out, here's my encouragement to all of us. Right then, right there, have that sentence for Jesus, Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to be doing with this? You don't have to have the answers. Bring it to him. Let his light show you the way. Let his light reveal what's next. Until the light of the world illuminates your world, every little part of it, you'll never make sense of the world. Friends, here's the other part. Jesus doesn't just want to save us for that moment or from our sins in darkness or just heal us for a moment. That's all part of it, yes. But he wants us to be saved for an I am so I will purpose. I am, so I will. Our text says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. The last sentence is, but will have the light of life. The light of life. This is where Tom was so spot on with his sermon last week. It is all connected. The light of life leads us right back to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, that's us. That's us. We are meant to be a reflection of him. Your life, my life, when we open it up to the light, it becomes Christ in us, Christ through us. Jesus is absolutely the light. We're just called to be, in a very simplistic sort of way, we're just called to be the moon reflecting his love. The moon doesn't create its own light. It's just a reflection of what the sun gives. So, much like the Israelites in days gone by, they were instructed to make altars so that they would remember, that they would remember, that they would remember. Here's my simple remembering for all of us. Every time, and that should be quite often, every time you see the moon, may I challenge you to think, reflect Jesus' love. Reflect his love to my world. Reflect what he is, and he's the light. So we've, as a teaching team, came up with this sentence, and we're encouraging you to fill in the blank. Because I am, capital I, capital A-M, I will blank. Because I am the light, I will what? May I make a suggestion? 
And I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up, if you would. One of the verses that I literally, and I'll be honest, stumbled across when I started my ministry here last fall. I had never paid any attention to it before. It's sort of become my life verse as far as my ministry goes. And it says this, and it's from John chapter 1. It says this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Then the next verse is critical. The next verse is it. He said, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They left John. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's doing. It's about Jesus. So because your I am, I will, blank, start with an honest conversation with Jesus. Look at your things. Look at your shadow side with him. Not just today, throughout your day. This is a quote I've said a lot as I've preached the last couple of years. It says this, and I think it's so applicable. Can I encourage each one of us to sit on the steps of your soul where no one else goes and have a conversation with Jesus? Would you have an encounter with Jesus? Would you look at your sins, the ones that he knows about, would you look at what's troubling you today? Bring those to Jesus. Would you look at what's hurting you? Where are you hurting? What's hurting you? Would you bring those to Jesus? Where's the chaos in your life? Side note, oh, sorry, I brought you up a little soon, but this is, here's an interesting little thing. Does anybody else besides me have trouble concentrating when we're supposed to be praying? And it seems like your mind is going over here. Oh, come on, people, let, thank you. We got, coach, I knew I could count on you in the front. Here's, here's a suggestion to think about. Don't think of that necessarily as a negative. Ooh, 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 maybe, 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 could that be the Holy Spirit saying, this is what you maybe need to bring to the light? As you are distracted, I'm one that's convinced that that doesn't just happen. Maybe, maybe those things in those times of quiet are the things that you need to bring to the light. Couple more things. Maybe your fill in the blank is where you're gonna jump in the pit with someone. Remember we've talked about, you don't have to do that with everyone. But maybe ask God, is there somebody in my life that I literally need to jump into the pit to walk through life with, to point them to Jesus, to show them a way? Maybe there is somebody. Or at the bare minimum, in a world that's so dark, can I encourage, can I ask, can I plead all of us just to share stories and testimonies of light, lives that have been changed, where light showed up in a dark and dismal place, where light changed somebody or a situation. Can we just continually share those and lift those up and bring those to the Lord? Because remember this, until the light of the world illuminates your world, you'll never make sense of the world.